0: I'm Claire McKenna and this is the Focus Ireland podcast. In this series, we'll take a deep dive into the most prevalent social crisis of the last 10 years, homelessness. We'll discuss every aspect of the crisis, talk with people who've experienced homelessness firsthand, meet people who work in the field as well as experts in the area. I'm Claire McKenna, you're very welcome to the Focus Ireland podcast and today we are looking at what is the government doing and what else needs to be done to tackle the homelessness crisis and to discuss that I'm joined by Mike Allen, Director of Advocacy at Focus Ireland, Louise Baylis, Campaigns Coordinator at Focus Ireland and Professor Owen Sullivan, Professor of Social Studies at Trinity College in Dublin. Well you're all very welcome. Can I start with you, please, Mike, because the numbers of homelessness are on the rise again, again, throughout the last six months, nearly 9,500 homeless as we speak. So from the outset, it looks like the situation is getting worse. Why is this happening?
1: I think when we, we try to, to think about homelessness, an awful lot of people st- look at the problem in terms of what's wrong with or what's happened to or the mistakes that people who are homeless have made. So people think people are homeless because they have an addiction issue or the mental health issue or just made poor, bad choices in their life. And that leads us in, in completely the wrong direction to in understanding what's gone gone wrong. And when you see this very substantial increase in huge increase in homelessness since about 2014 in Ireland. It happens at the same time as a total crisis in housing sector. So it's much better to understand homelessness in terms of um, there not being enough dwellings, not enough homes, not enough affordable, secure homes for people. And then the most... So somebody in those circumstances is going to end up without, without anywhere to live. And what happens is that through a whole range of different processes... Um, our society makes sure that it's the most vulnerable, the the people who've got the the biggest problems are the ones who are pushed to the outside. So it's not that somebody is homeless because they have a mental health issue. It is that there is homelessness and our systems sort of Make sure, or, or or drive to the margins, the people who are most vulnerable, and they are the ones who become homeless. So, what's happened since 2014 is we've had this enormous uh, housing crisis. It affects everybody in our society. Um, you know, if it doesn't affect you personally, it affects your family or your children or your, your you know other people, your friends. Um, there's not enough affordable places for people to live and the number of people who've been pushed out into homelessness has has grown during that period of time. It's a huge increase in the, you know, 2014 to about 2000. It leveled out then uh, a little bit. uh, But, and then certainly during the pandemic, we began to see the number of people who are homeless fell a bit, particularly the families. Um, But now it's begun to rise again as the same factors that were there before begin to kick in again.
0: I know it's very important at Focus Ireland to... Change the stereotype around homelessness and to tell the full story. Do you think people are beginning to understand it a little bit more now that more people are affected by the the housing crisis, by high rents, by an inability to get on the property ladder or do they see that as part of the homelessness issue?
1: Um, There's a group of people who are, I think, are probably always going to see it in terms of uh, negativity and blaming people and so on. But I think there's a growing number of people who are recognising that um, the underlying causes, the structural causes, we'd say housing uh, primarily, but also poverty, are the factors that happen in people 's lives because of our failure to provide institutions to support people so that 's a growing number of people who are definitely understanding that and partly through seeing families friends, relations who are caught up by it and and also I think one of the crucial things is people who may be not at risk of homelessness but are struggling in the private rented sector or providing uh, struggling to get onto the property ladder as it 's referred to who see their don 't see themselves as unique they see that they are they're experiencing a different form of the same problem. Uh, and I think that leads to the greater sense of uh, solidarity, greater sense of common understanding and society. We aren't going to be able to solve the housing problem we aren't going to be able to solve the homeless problem unless we solve the housing problem and we aren't going to be able to solve one person's housing issue unless we solve everybody's housing issue. It's not one group against another. We actually need to, to change the system very radically to solve it and that will solve it for every person in our society whether they're you know trying to find their first rented accommodation trying to rent while they're working or trying to buy their first home.
0: Well the government has pledged to end homelessness by 2030. Is that Realistic, do you think?
1: As things are going now, it's not realistic, but it is it is achievable. We believe it's very, very definitely achievable, but it needs uh, a significant upping of the um, of, of our ambition and our capacity. So, in the discussion about the large number of Ukrainian refugees who are coming to Ireland, that we're going to um, to, to quite rightly to, to try and provide accommodation for. Um, the discussion of that is uh, focused around seventy thousand planning permissions, which have been given for for dwellings across Ireland, which haven't been started. So seventy. So we have this. Oh, the planning process is a big problem. And it's a barrier. Seventy thousand planning permissions there, and nobody's even started building them. And the government is talking about, oh yeah, we will we'll get those going, and we'll need to move forward on those. And you say, well. It's great you've got the urgency now. It's a shame you didn't have the urgency in the past to deal with that. But let's take the urgency now and just get on and do it and get those homes built. So there is a possibility that the shift that's happening here um, could... Uh, sh- what we need to do is to make sure the, the, the new problem that we're facing will more than redouble the efforts in terms of getting the homes built that people need.
0: And I think there's a real shift in public perception also because of their reaction to refugees This time around, people were literally opening their own homes, not trusting the government system that they know already has people still in emergency accommodation. We still have direct provision. So I think that was also a significant shift.
1: I I think there is a shift there, but it's also, to be fair to the government, they've both been generous in their response and responded to what? People want, but they're, at this stage in the in the, in, in the crisis, um, they're very much trying to keep the homeless system, people experiencing homelessness, as separate from the refugee response. So they're trying to keep those as sort of distinct areas, with the refugee agency dealing with the, the, the Ukrainians and others, uh, while the homeless services continue to deal with. You know, what we had seen before and that, that's very positive because as I said one of the, the, the concerns you have in this whole area but particularly when we're, we're, we're trying to respond generously to the appalling needs of the Ukrainian refugees is we don't want to see tensions building up between one group of marginalised people and another and certainly the government have handled that in so far in a, in a very successful way and, and Irish people have, have, have responded enormously positively and, and, and uh, uh, generously to that.
0: Professor Oana Sullivan, can I bring you in? You've studied extensively and written extensively on this area, particularly comparing Ireland to other European countries. So in that, what are we doing right and and what could we be doing differently?
2: We're mostly doing it right um, in the sense that, um, I I suppose, going back to the the, the point Mike was making about just the figures, um, I think one thing we have to remember, we, we tend to, um, focus primarily on the point, the, the, the monthly figure that comes out on the, the, the last Friday of every month. And that's probably a very misleading figure in terms of trying to understand what's going on. Uh, that tells us the number of people in emergency accommodation in a, the third week in each month. Um, whereas if you think of the total number of unique individuals who experience the stay in emergency accommodation between 2014 and 2021, it's 42,000 unique adults had a spell in an emergency accommodation. So that's that gives you a sense of the scale that Mike was talking about. D- this isn't something that happens to a small group of deprived or delinquent or addicted or ill people, it's happening to a very large number of people. And um, the other thing to remember is that about 25,000 of those adults exited emergency accommodation to accommodation, either an approved housing body tenancy, a local authority tenancy, are usually with the assistance of the homelessness assistance pay or the housing assistance payment to the private rented sector. So that that tells us that homelessness is a much more dynamic and fluid thing than thinking about a group of people in emergency accommodation. So the majority of people who are homeless in emergency accommodation tonight won't be in two years' time, and the majority of people in two years' time who would be in emergency accommodation are housed today. Um, so we, we need to think about it that way. And our system responds pretty well. I said 25,000 people who entered emergency accommodation did get a tenancy, exited successfully there. Uh, In Dublin, for example, um, there is a very good preventative scheme. So, a big mantra across many countries is how do we prevent people from entering emergency accommodation in the very first instance? So, we know in Dublin between 2017 and the end of 2021, 8,000 households were prevented from entering emergency accommodation, that they're either they were at risk because a notice of termination had been served on them in the private rented sector, um, and they were either given a, a tenancy by an approved housing body or a local authority. In Dublin, immediately are given this homeless housing assistance payment, which is the basic rate plus up to fifty percent. So that prevented about eight thousand households entering emergency accommodation. So, so once we're doing all the right things, we do for preventative strategy, um, we are getting people out of emergency accommodation reasonably quickly. But the problem is just to flow in that forty-two thousand. There are so many people entering emergency accommodation uh, every every month, um, and once we can slow down that flow. Um, we are going to struggle. So, in terms of doing the right things, we know we have a housing-led strategy, which is best practice. That it, because the key response to homelessness is about provision of housing. It's not about health services or other things. They, they assist, but but ultimately it's about housing. Um, we have a dedicated program called Housing First, which is working with those who experience entrenched homelessness. Uh, that was piloted in Dublin back in 2011, rolled out nationally in 2018, and there's, a, there's a, a, a re-elaboration of that again at the end of 2021. So in terms of understanding what's working in other jurisdictions, we we are doing the right things. Um, but ultimately, it just comes down to the point Mike is making. We just don't have enough housing, affordable and secure housing. So a lot of those households who are exiting emergency accommodation came from the private rental sector are exiting back into the private rental sector and may re-enter again because it's an insecure exit because uh, the ability of landlords to terminate tenancies with relative ease and with perfect validity that if you want to sell your property or give it to a family member, you can terminate a tenancy. And so, all of those exits to either the prevention cases or the exits, they're all relatively insecure because you're back into an insecure tenancy. It's not so much the rent anymore that's causing the issue, it's, the, it's a notice of termination that is driving people into emergency accommodation. So, that's one thing we do know again from comparative experience that eviction prevention or, or reducing that ability to terminate tenancies has a massive impact on the, the rate of entry into emergency accommodation. Um, so, in terms of a whole range of things, we're doing reasonably well. One of the things that, while we've massively expanded our system of emergency accommodation, which is not a particularly good thing, and nonetheless, it has ensured that a, the number of people who are literally homeless on the street is very small and has been consistently low. Uh, so that, again, isn't part of the public perception of homelessness. They see tents around Dublin. The numbers have been pretty stable for the last seven or eight years um, at between kind of 100 and 150 uh, individuals at a point in time, uh, so that 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 doesn't seem to be the public experience because they see the tents in very public places. But but the data is fairly consistent. So that that massive shelter infrastructure that we put in place has ensured that a relatively small number of people have to experience literal literal homelessness around the street. So uh, b- by and large, we're doing most of the things that we have the levers to to bring about change in but ultimately it keeps coming back to that period um, in, in the middle of the last decade when we stopped building local authority housing and, and social housing more generally and until we catch up with that we are going to increasingly just have that, that flow of people coming into emergency accommodation.
0: Because when you compare us to other European countries is that where the, the difference is?
2: It's quite difficult to compare because in terms of data in terms of being able to say well it's the number higher in Ireland and other other countries. The Nordic countries, for example, have a much broader definition of homelessness that would include sofa surfers or people doubled up. Um, But but, but the common thing that works in all those countries is that they're a housing-led response to homelessness, um, recognising that ultimately homelessness is about the absence of secure accommodation. And the the message gets a bit confused at times because there's lots of other noise about addiction, um, ill health, delinquency, criminality, all these sort of things, which really don't have an awful lot to do with homelessness. Homelessness is the absence of a secure accommodation. unit of accommodation um, and when you provide that we see with the Housing First project people who have been entrenched homelessness for long periods of time, once they're provided with their own accommodation their need for other services drop radically because ultimately that's what they needed was a secure base of their own and um, not a whole range of wraparound services that you provide via the hospital system. Um, so by and large I think looking at the comparative experience we're doing reasonably well uh, in terms of the programs we have in place but the flow in is so dramatic that our numbers keep increasing.
0: You often hear as well of other European cities or countries where rental is the norm, but it's very different. A lot of people here, families in particular, are renting because they don't have any other choice. And that's what leads people to being, as they say, two checks away from that tenancy coming to an end and yeah, having just, an just issue. The
2: vast majority of people are not two checks away from homelessness. It's a relatively small group of people who are at risk that, that, as Mike was saying, you're in that kind of precarious accommodation and then a shock to either a relationship breakdown, a loss of income, things like that, Then that, that propels people in. Um, but, but but the idea that we're all two paychecks away from us isn't the case. The, the data wouldn't support that at all, uh, that the majority of people are well insulated from ever having to. Experience homelessness, despite that big increase in, in, in the last couple of years. Um, uh, the, the, the key issue with the private rental sector is, is just that security of tenure. So we've we put in place rent pressure zones. We've been able to moderate the, the rate of rental inflation. But that's not the issue. The, the issue is that tenancies can be terminated at relative ease and perfectly validly. So uh, that, that is probably the key thing that is missing, that there is some kind of further restrictions on a landlord's ability to terminate a tenancy.
0: Louise, can I bring you in... Um... And talk a little bit about the the, the cost of of living now because that's something else that's coming into the discussion um it's good to hear that the data doesn't back up people being two paychecks away but there are a lot of pressure on ordinary people at the moment um you know even families where two people are working it isn't quite enough to have even a rainy day fund um and I, i think that can be exacerbating the issue it definitely
3: is exasperating the issue and one of the things um, Owen was speaking there about, you know, people using the housing assistance payment, the HAP payment, which was great when it came out in 2014. It definitely gave people options that you didn't have with rent supplement. It allowed people to study full time. It allowed them to work full time and it allowed ordinary people get that housing payment and it got them out of the poverty trap of not being able to work or educate themselves. So it was a great payment at the start. However, the scheme has not kept up. So the, the scheme um you get your housing assistance payment next year your landlord is allowed to put up the rent depending on you know whether it was a 4% or PCs or rent pressure zone um, and the rent went up the local authority didn't necessarily keep up with the hat payment. So you pay the top up to the landlord. Year two comes, you're paying another 4%. Year three comes, you're paying another 4%. And suddenly you're paying a top up that could be up to 200 or 300 euro a month. Um, and that's on top of what you would be paying to the local authority anyway. So the local authority rents are assessed based on what your income is. And if your local authority rent is 35 euro a week, but you're suddenly paying 35 euro a week plus 200. That's where the problem is. And a lot of families are falling into arrears because of this um, and, and that's leading to evictions. But but also there is, as again, as both Mike and Owen have spoken about, it's the security of tenure and it's that housing precarity that's really causing people stress, you know, afraid. And that impacts on the quality of the housing because. People are afraid to ask the landlord to to fix the fridge. They're afraid to cause any trouble whatsoever because they are afraid to to cause them problems and then to get the notice of eviction. So people are accepting poor quality of living. They're accepting the top ups and ultimately they're suffering. And one of the things, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of a lone parent group and the, the work I hear from that is people in that situation, they are genuinely suffering, and suffering to a different level that people in the general public might not hear. So for instance, somebody put up in our group went, you know, quite recently, have you noticed that your shopping has gone up? My little shop used to be 70 euro a week, and it's gone up to 95. And the response really took me back, because people's response was, I don't have the budget to increase it to the 95. My shopping stays the same. What's happening is I'm not getting the same amount of food. So I'm cutting back on I'm rationing food. So, you know, and in in fairness, at the moment, what seems to be is um, people are saying I'm protecting the children from it, but I'm going to bed hungry two or three nights a week. And that is that's a real issue. So for some of us, we are saying, yeah, the cost of living, it's terrible. And I have to cut back on this. But for some people, you're on a fixed budget. There is no cutting back. You're actually cutting back on on the amount of food you can buy. Um, And and that is driving. um, So there is that financial precarity and security of tenure that is driving people into it. And and the amount of people I see in our group that are um, on the edge, they're terrified of getting that letter. Um, And when the letter comes in and even, you know, in in our group, it's called Spark, it's a lone parent group. There are school teachers, full time school teachers, but they're lone parents. And even on a school teachers, if you're one income coming into that house, you're relying on HAP, you're relying on that payment and you're relying on the private rental market. And if you get your notice of eviction, you're at real risk of being a homeless teacher. With your children, and um, so I think that is that it's more widespread. I, I, I take Owen's point that a lot of people are insulated, definitely. But if you're a one-income household and you don't have those supports, and that's why we're seeing the overrepresentation of lone-parent households in um, homelessness. What would you like
0: to see that would make a difference here, Louise?
3: There's loads I'd like to see. <laughs> One of the things, and Focus Ireland have uh, put that in for our Housing for All strategy, would be a task force to look at issues around lone parents, and not just lone parents about separating households. Again, Owen raised the point there that you know a relationship breakup is a key driver of um, people ending up in emergency accommodation. And we know there's very specific policies that could be changed. For instance, if you get child maintenance, if you get a mortgage paid by, by a partner because you've separated, That's assessed as means by social welfare. So you have to choose, do I get my mortgage paid or do I put food on the table? And of course, people are going to put food on the table and lose their homes. That's a really simple fix. It's a really simple fix. There's, if you get, again, for child maintenance, there's a housing income disregard that's set at €95.23. That was introduced as £75 in 1997. Now, I think if we look at housing costs in 1997 and compare them to housing costs in 2022, there is no comparison but the rates haven't gone up so you're putting people especially at relationship breakups you're putting people at risk of homelessness and another major thing i would talk about is domestic violence again a key driver into homelessness and um, and um one of the things that I would like to see are people are not supported women or men who are whoever is the abused person they're not supported to stay in the family home if there is a mortgage but what they are supported is to get the emergency rent supplement to get out of the house now of course I support the emergency rent supplement to get out of a need but we shouldn't be pushing people into the The precarious rental market what we should be doing is supporting families to stay in the family home so there's loads of policies like that and i think if we had a task force set up that could just coordinate the different departments because in one sense the department of social welfare is doing something on one hand and the department of housing are doing it on the other hand and the the courts are doing another thing and it's left to an individual to try to navigate these really complex things at a time when they're they're in a very emotionally vulnerable time and that's where we could step in as a government and have that task force to identify these problems and at least, you know, keep families in their homes. You know, again, we talk about being a great payment at the start and, you know, being a form of getting into the private rental market. There is no security of tenure in the rental market and 67% of people who are and um, HAP recipients are families with children and is that the way we want to raise children with 67 of the percent of them being on a, in, in a, with no security of tenure you can't plan what ch- school your child is going to as a lone parent you can't plan how you get the local job and the local woman to collect the sc- children off school if you don't have security of tenure it's very hard to move on with your life.
0: Mike Allen, Director of Advocacy at Focus Ireland, can I ask you the same question? If we were to hand you the title of Minister for Housing or indeed Taoiseach, what changes would you make?
1: It'd mm-hmm. be pretty daunting. It, it has to be admitted. I think before just answering that, I want to, to this idea of of people being insulated from homelessness. I think it, it's true and and, and and Owen is right about the, the, the data showing that this idea that we're all sort of, you know, just about to fall into in, in, into extreme home, homelessness, if something goes wrong. That isn't true for most people, but it's important to sort of look into what that means. It means that, like, you might lose your accommodation for the various things that Louise is saying because of the, the poor interaction of systems or poverty or your rent going up. But for the vast majority of people, that doesn't mean you end up in homeless accommodation. It means you move into the other networks of support you have. You go and stay with friends. You go back to live with your parents. You go. So those sort of things that protect vulnerable people from literal homelessness aren't, um, aren't desirable, they aren't, you know, They they are severe setbacks in their lives and they are themselves problematic. So even going back to that notion of we're ending t- uh, homelessness by, by 2030, and I'm saying that that can be achieved, I'm not saying we can end all poverty by 2030. I'm not saying everybody's life will be out without housing stress by 2030. The form of homelessness, which is either being on the street or living in emergency accommodation, can be ended but there are much larger forms, you know, much uh, more diverse and, and and complex forms of, of disadvantage and and, and so on, which are are, are um, will be much harder, are solvable, but 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 wouldn't be solvable over that that period of time. So I think that's really important in terms of answering your question about what you do if you're minister. So there are things you need, you can do, which are short term. So in a sense, they sort of change who is being pushed out to the edge. So you, I, I think you need to do some short-term things um, which protect the most vulnerable and protect people who are going to be most harmed by homelessness. So those include the things that, that Louise said about particularly the way the, 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 the way we've administered systems that um, uh, make the lives of, of lone parents more precarious. Um, it also goes back to what Owen was talking about, trying to, to stop this huge flow of people being evicted from private rental accommodation because their landlords are, are leaving. But if you look at both those things, I mean, what would happen, for instance, when a landlord evicts somebody into homelessness? Um, they do that because they're selling the property. So they sell the property, and somebody buys it and moves into it. So ultimately, if you like, the total number of people in homes hasn't changed. It's just who's in them. So I think there is some real benefit in protecting vulnerable people from being thrown in, out into homelessness. But it doesn't ultimately solve the problem. You really need to be building. So you need to simultaneously do the short-term things, know that they are short-term, and also do the things which are going to to have a benefit. If I'm Minister for Housing now, I need to be doing things now which will have an impact long after I'm Minister for Housing. And that has been a huge problem that people are constantly concentrating on the short-term and not dealing with the long-term. Even the issue of the private rent accommodation we're facing, that's caused by 10, 15 years ago having a whole range of measures encouraging people to buy property to rent out to other people as an investment without asking them to give a moment's thought to the fact that they were entering into a hugely important social responsibility of being a landlord. All these people there are, of course, accidental landlords, but there's a lot of people who describe themselves as accidental landlords who got a buy-to-let mortgage, got tax relief on it, and did they not think that part of buying, getting a buy-to-let mortgage meant being a landlord and the responsibilities of, of, of being a landlord? So we accused a huge number of people to, to become landlords on a speculative basis so they could make a, flip their properties. They then get trapped because of the crash, and now they're leaving. That was a short-term solution to a problem 15 years ago, and we're now left with the consequences. We need to make sure that we don't have short-term fixes for problems that are going to create problems down the line. So I'd go back, though, in terms of the long-term solutions, 70,000 planning permissions, no action on them. Um, 10,000 of those apparently only minor things preventing them going forward. We need to be concentrating on those sorts of issues, of the, 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 the things that we brought to a certain stage of development, And why aren't we getting over the line? And All the time I've been working in homelessness with whatever the figure is, 100,000, something like that, derelict properties, places lying empty and not being used. And we have made virtually no progress in that over a period of time. We need to shift from uh, an attitude which people are sitting with empty sites or empty property and we... What we've been currently doing is giving them incentives to bring their property back into use. I'm afraid we're going to have to start punishing people for holding properties, holding development land, and not developing it. We are in a famine situation in relation to housing, hoarding food during a famine everybody knows is wrong. If people are sitting on land with planning permission, if they're sitting on land which could be very quickly turned into housing, it's the same as hoarding food during a famine. And we need to penalize that. We need to get that um, those homes, potential homes, uh, um, back into, to, into real homes. We need to get that development happening and stop people um, holding on to their property uh, with a view that someday it'll be worth uh, more money to them.
0: Louise Bayliss, you are campaign's coordinator and there is a lot of pressure on organisations like Focus Ireland to get a a message out there. How much has the message changed over the years and and, and how impactful do you feel it's been? I think... um
3: people understand that homelessness isn't street home you know just the person lying on the street i think people understand that there's an awful lot of families in emergency accommodation and um, that are in hotels and that isn't a home and i think people are clearly understanding the risks of the people who are there and Mike spoke earlier about you know there just aren't enough homes and one of the analogies or the pictures I have in my head is you know it is a game of musical chairs there are only seven chairs and there's ten people chasing them and the three people who are going to be left standing are is the lone parent with two children trying to to carry or the person with mental health who's too slow to get there or the person with a disability who can't wheel into it so I think people are starting to get that message. But what we like to do in Focus Ireland in our campaigns is to run something that could be short and effective in the short term. Our long-term goal has always been to end homelessness. We ran an end homelessness campaign. We had 10,000 signatures given last May into the government. And shortly afterwards, they signed the Lisbon Treaty and we we got the commitment to end homelessness in 2030. That will always be our long-term game. In the, mean to, in the interim we can do small campaigns like we need to do something around HAP and we're going to be running a campaign on that we need to focus on children and families we've ran campaigns on that and we're not saying we're going to end child homelessness but we are saying let's do things to prevent more children becoming into homelessness let's do things to make those children who are homeless make their life that bit easier and let's do things that prioritise children to get out of homelessness because of the, tra- the the trajectory in their life so there are things we do that are short and sharp and that can make really effective changes but but I think one of the things we have been doing as well is our leap program and I know Claire you've interviewed some of our leap ambassadors who are lived experience ambassadors and they talk about their real life experience and homelessness and I think through their generous telling of their stories, they're changing perceptions, they're changing the image of what homelessness is, and they're really helping to drive policy in a way that is sustainable for them and for other people who have experienced their journeys.
0: Because I think that's what's really interesting about your role. You almost have a foot in each camp on the policy side of things and and what needs to change at at a systems level. But also, as you say, the people behind the statistics and making sure that their stories yeah, are heard. Yeah, I'm
3: really, I'm genuinely, really lucky in my role because I do love all the policy and the research and the advocacy and the campaigning. I love that part. Um, but I came into Focus Ireland as a frontline worker and I loved my customer interaction. And when I came into Focus Ireland, I was really caught in, oh, I'd love to do the advocacy part, but, I, but I'd miss customers so much because I actually really love, dealing face to face and hearing their stories and building up rapport and relationships so when I saw this role um, I jumped on it you know and possibly change the role from what it was supposed to be but I, I love the fact that I can hear the real life stories and then take those stories and use those stories and hopefully through our campaigning really change policy for the better. I mean we've had one of our LEAP ambassadors even went into an Oireachtas committee and she spoke at policy level to TDs and senators there and that's that's just so
0: important and key to how I think we're going to change things. Do you think that's one of the issues that there are people at the table making decisions who are really far removed from the realities of the situation? I, I think it is. And I, I
3: don't think it's um I don't think it's done deliberately or anything like it, but They're seeing things from a different perspective um, and they're not hearing the on the ground stories and they're seeing cold, hard statistics, Uh, you know, but I think you need to hear people's stories. You need to see people's realities. You need to look them in the eye. And then through that, you can you can understand where we need to go and. And I think it it does make a difference. And some of the insights we've had from our LEAP ambassadors, they're not we're not patronising them. We're not saying, oh, thank you for your input. They have been really clear, analytical and given us a viewpoint that we've missed. So while I'm saying government ministers can be a little bit distant, I know sometimes I can be a little bit distant from homelessness. I've never experienced it. So... I think being able to have that foot in both camps, as you said, keeps me grounded and keeps me remembering why I want to end homelessness and why we all should want to end homelessness.
0: Yeah, it's something I've been given a lot of thought to recently about people of privilege, people who get access to opportunity and education. They end up being the ones that make the decision and therefore you're removed from the realities of what it's like to be vulnerable in society. And so the cycle continues Can I ask you then, Mike Allen, um, are you hopeful for the future when it comes to the area of homelessness?
1: Um, uh, Hopeful. Um... (sighs) I just remember um, I don't know where he got it from, but uh, the man who's now president, Michael D. Higgins, saying to me one time that uh, optimism was a choice rather than an emotional state, um, and I think that's the case. I think you sort of need to make a political choice to 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 see it possible, because there's every number of reasons you, why you could be um, uh, pessimistic, um, but if you're pessimistic, you don't achieve what you need to achieve. So I think that sort of sense of um, realistic, but um, driven commitment to uh, achieving our goals is at the core of what we do in Focus Ireland. And I'm proud of that and stick to that. Um, I do think that discussion about about TDs, I think what's been said is true, that you can be removed from things. And and there is definitely in lots of European societies, ours included, that people from certain backgrounds um, get into positions of power. But the Irish system is incredibly. Politicians are incredibly in touch with what's going on, on the ground um, because of the, the our multi-seat uh, constituencies, the, the the way the voting works, and how easy it is to lose your seat. They're incredibly in touch. So, in some sense, the, the opposite side is also the problem. That that the politicians. So the politicians become very engaged with what's happening immediately on the ground, and they not sufficiently engaged with the policy tools which you require. So that's what Louise was talking about, about having both, be having the, the the awareness of the suffering that's caused by by homelessness, but you also need to be aware of the policy tools. And I actually think the biggest problem with the Irish political system is the second part, that they actually aren't very engaged in in, in policy thinking, in the long-term thinking, in terms of the sort of fundamental needs. So you they tend to look at, well, we did this and five people said you know, or ten people, or hundred people said it was wonderful, and 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 therefore I'm going to respond to that. So an example of that at the moment would be the minister is introducing this, is running this program where they're going to um, help people buy their um, their property by the state buying a proportion of the first time buyers' house. Out. So essentially, it brings down the amount of money I would have to pay to get onto the property property ladder. And everybody says the actual systematic effect of that is to push up property prices for everybody. But the minister says, well, there's 500 people here who are going to say thanks to me because they're the beneficiaries. And our system is much more focused on making the minister aware of the 500 people who uh, are the the beneficiaries of of a program. There's many programs like that, rather than the many thousands who are quietly the victims of the program. So I think... Um, uh, that, that, that the need for, for concentrating on the policy issue is important. We're struggling. We're thinking at the moment in, in focus Ireland about this issue of of hope, of optimism about the the possibility of change. So some work we've done looking at what people's views of this. People care about this issue, housing and homelessness, <clears throat> very very deeply in Ireland. But they also, um, and they also believe it can be solved. But they don't believe it is going to be solved. So there's an almost fatalism about government, not just the current government, but every potential government about whether it's going to, to solve the issue. And they also feel that there isn't anything they can do about that. And I think that's really an, an, a very interesting area to explore with, with the work that Louise is doing in, the, in, in Focus Ireland in, in our team. I mean, obviously, we can say to people, a well, very important thing, one thing you can do about this is donate to Focus Ireland. Yes, and of course that is something to do. We use your money wisely and we we don't just help individuals, we try and systemically change. But people want to do more than that as well. And we need to find ways through campaigns and through political engagement where this this belief that we can end homelessness and this caring deeply about the issue can impact on the political system and the type of decisions, the long, short and long-term decisions that politicians make. And I think that's... The, that's exciting area, and I think it's by working on that and hopefully solving that, releasing that political will which is in the people and releasing it into the political system is where my where my optimism is based. It's not a foundless uh, optimism. It's a belief that we can actually do that and turn what is a very potent civic force. Into actual political action over that period of time. And that's what we're going to be working at to try and achieve that.
0: Yeah, grassroots movement is indeed very powerful. Um, Professor Owen Sullivan, we touched earlier on the situation of Ukraine and people fleeing the war to come here. Do you agree with Mike Allen that this might be a situation that changes the sector here?
2: I I don't think so. Uh, I think they're quite they're quite distinct. Um, and my, my fear, I think it's a bit like what Mike was saying about the interaction of our politicians, because I think I, I take it even a bit further that it, it, they are very engaged with the homelessness issue because on their constituencies at, at the weekend they're dealing with people who are experiencing homelessness. But again, their response is to fix the issue for that family or that individual and get them onto the waiting list or get them into social housing, rather than tackling the bigger issue so they're, they're deeply engaged in it Um I think we've thought there'd been game changers before and they really thought Covid was going to be a game changer it, it did in the short term in terms of there was a moratorium on termination of tenancies and things like that they were all short lived so in terms of what was the lasting impact of Covid on responding to homelessness not an awful lot to show at this stage two years on whereas if this was a year ago I'd be going okay look it was kind of a hypothesis if you if you put in place a, a moratorium and termination of for a period of time, would that reduce homelessness? Well, we know it did. Uh, so it wasn't a hypothesis anymore, but then we we we, 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 we went back to normal and the numbers are gone back up. So th- that would be my scepticism that we, we thought there were game changers in the system before and they turned to be short term and really didn't have a long term impact. Um, and I don't think, my sense is in the Irish system and just looking at the comparative experience, the one country that's always cited for significantly uh, reducing its number of people experiencing homelessness is Finland. And that was kind of outside of the political system. It was slow. It was difficult work. It was about getting a consensus. But but it worked. But But, but it wasn't a short-term thing. It wasn't a game-changing event. It was systematically... Addressing the issues that resulted in people experiencing homelessness, how you move people out of homelessness, and and it took a period of time. And I know their numbers back; they started that process back in 1987. Their numbers were significantly higher than we currently have, even at the moment. And um, so it, it's taken them what nearly forty years to bring back what they call an almost uh, an absolute zero. That that by 2025 they they're expecting to have. Like I think in mid 1980s had about. Two and a half thousand shelter beds in Helsinki. We had about two and a half shelter beds. Uh, We we had about a thousand in Dublin. They now have one shelter with 52 beds and we have about 3000 shelter beds in Dublin. So again, it can be done, but it takes time. And that's why I just don't think things that we think are game changers. They tend not to change it or if they do, they change it only temporarily. And it would be a mistake to focus on that rather than, I think, thinking about those longer term things that will ensure a sustainable reduction in homelessness and to ensure that uh, those that are currently in experienced homeless exit successfully. So um, I, I think that would be my priority, just to focus on those long term things rather than thinking there's something we can quickly change.
1: Yeah, just, to, just, I think that that's really true, and I think that the the risk of well, here we're in this crisis, and we now do a lot of short term things. I think that the trick would be if you were back to being minister on that question, it would be well, what are the long term things we always wanted to gain, and how do we use the present crisis to break down the barriers to them and, and deliver them, rather than just run off into some new uh, new idea, which will you know, which the the game changer notion does does bring in this this idea that it's all going to be a whiz bang new idea. I mean, let's keep our eye on where we intend to go and use every opportunity that comes up to, to, to drive towards it.
0: And Louise, when we hear that and we know that systemic change is going to take time, how do you reconcile that with the lived experienced people that you're meeting right now who who need change in the in the short term? How do you navigate yeah. between that?
3: Yeah I think it, that's a really interesting question because I was listening to what Owen was saying and he's dead right we do need to have this long term goal and keep it but there are still small little changes that could make a dramatic in, uh, change in somebody's life so while I don't think we should forget about the, the long term goals we have to keep them clearly there but there are small little changes that we can do along the way and especially for the likes of children where they're starting a life trajectory and to put them on the right path and to make sure they're not traumatized and they're not you know starting life with a bad history of school because they had to get two buses to school in the morning or they never got it to go to a GAA club or those small little changes they can they're incremental they're not going to change things overnight but if they change somebody's life it's it's life-changing so I'm going to keep on with my optimism and make those small little incremental changes, but not at the not at the cost of losing sight of what the overall goal is. And I think what Mike was saying was very um, true about politicians focusing on their constituents because of the way our electoral system is set up and and I think what we do need is something like Slauncher Care for housing where there's a commitment from all government parties and it's, it's the, that housing is taken off um, as this this tool to whip each other with you know because whoever gets into power next time are going to have the same issue and that everybody's agreed this is a problem that we all have to work together and it shouldn't be the homeless figures are gone up, oh, we'll use that to slate the government and uh, you know Forget that for the moment. Make you know we we all agree and acknowledge that that's wrong we're all going to try to make changes to stop it and make life better for people in it but stop using those one-off figures and keep our goal in mind and and i think if we do that and and if politicians stopped looking for the quick win that god i'm going to be up for election in two years time i can't have this and we're we're brave enough to look at the 10 or 15 year goal it would make such a difference and it can be done i mean we know it was done for education years ago and, and other things. And slainte it Körn hasn't got off the ground yet. But at least there is a commitment in the government that all parties are going to try to
0: commit to this. So I'd love to see something like that happen. Well, I'll leave it there on that message of optimism. But I must say throughout the conversation, I I felt optimism from all of you that it is possible that change here can happen and homelessness can be ended mike allen director of advocacy at focus ireland louise Bayliss, campaigns coordinator at focus ireland and professor O'No Sullivan, professor of social studies at trinity college dublin thank you very much to you all thank you thank you coming up on the next episode of the focus ireland podcast we'll be asking what can we learn from other countries about ending homelessness
2: housing your own home is the foundation for for your living and
1: and you you should get permanent housing permanent home without any preconditions so for us it means that you have a your own rental apartment with your own rental contract normally it's it's unlimited time as long as you pay pay your rent and then then you get support this is mainly based on Individual apartments, we also have supported housing units, but in these units, there can also be on-site staff to provide support. So there are different options what kind of housing you may may get, but it's always your own own independent apartment with support.
0: Remember to like, subscribe and share. If you'd like more information on the work of Focus Ireland, visit focusireland.ie.